uh, absolutely fantastic. Well, in this series, we are looking at how culture has shifted. <clears throat> you know, we, we were a culture based largely on the Judeo-Christian ethic, uh, strong emphasis on Christianity, but our culture has shifted. And people no longer build their lives on the Word of God, no longer build their lives on that faith. I, mean, I, I bet there's a few of us here who can remember growing up in a New Zealand where you drive into town, park your car, never bothered, never bothered locking your car, you, you leave the house, never bother leaving your house, because there was just such a strong uh, ethic in our culture of respecting people's possessions and homes and belongings, such a strong ethic around honesty that sadly has shifted significantly. And what we want to talk about today is some of those issues, some of those places that culture has shifted to, and hopefully reminding us to shift back to building our lives on the Word of God. Today we're going to be talking about a statement that people make, and you hear it a lot, you see it all the time. Uh, it used to be a statement that meant that I had some things I needed to sort out, but it has now become a statement of moral superiority. You pull this out, you win. What is that statement? I am offended. <clears throat> Such a useful little statement. Doesn't matter what the argument is, what the issue is, you pull that out, everything comes to a screeching halt. You can't top that. You can't beat that. It used to mean you had a problem that you had to go away and work through. Now, it means that you're something special. If you can pull that one out. I remember many years ago in Dunedin when I was pastoring there, occasionally I'd get asked to go and speak to uh, high school uh, groups or um, university, mid-school Christian groups, and, and um, often I get asked to come and speak on uh, evolution because I uh, studied genetics and evolution at university, I, I taught at high schools many years, and um, so this one particular time I remember I was speaking at a high school Christian group, it was a lunchtime, they opened it up to the whole school, invited people to come, and in particular they had invited the year 13 or 7th form, um, the year 13 biology students to come if they'd like to and hear a presentation on something, a perspective that was a little different from what the New Zealand curriculum was teaching. And so we had a great time. I spoke for maybe 30 or 40 minutes, um, just sharing a bunch of stuff about evolution. And then we had a Q&A time. And it was so interesting, right? Uh, before anyone else could do anything, one of the senior year 13s, uh, one of the boys puts his hand up. I said, yep. And um, this was what he said to me. He said, I'm offended. That, like, that was it. He, he was just offended, apparently. He was offended. Poor boy. Poor child. He was offended. It, it was astonishing. There was no evidence to rebuke what I was saying. There, was no, there were no questions to kind of come back at me with about my arguments. There was nothing on common design. There was no comments on radiocarbon dating or potassium argon dating. There was nothing about genetic mutation, the fossil record, hominid evolution. There was nothing. There was just, I'm offended. And apparently, it was now up to me to respond. That was suffice. There was nothing more that needed to be said or addressed. I now had to defend myself or apologize or something because I'm offended, apparently, is a statement that needs no further explanation but demands a reply. And here's what was interesting, right? Pull that out, conversation stopped. It was literally like we just run into a wall. There were no more questions from anybody else. He was clearly the moral superior person in the room. There was, no, there was no more need to argue, no more need to defend or engage or think, unfortunately. It was the first time I'd come across it, and I was astonished. You know, psychologists have found that when people associate almost exclusively 
with those who agree with them, they suffer from a thing called groupthink, and they lose their ability to see events or issues clearly or correctly. Now, social media magnifies this by channeling into our Facebook or Instagram feeds things that, we, that are similar to what we have liked or shared before, and so this magnifies this whole thing. It's called confirmation bias. Is it any wonder in this post-postmodern age that we are told that truth is now relative? You have your truth, apparently, and I have my truth. What is actually happening is that the word opinion has been relabeled as truth. That's what's happened. The problem is that your opinion isn't truth any more than my opinion is truth. Truth has always been something that is based on fact. It is something that was, is repeatable and observable. Truth in an existential sense is based on the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Truth was always meant to be a rock that we could build our lives on, but unfortunately that has now been ground down until it is like soft sand, something that shifts and moves with every storm that comes along and I think Jesus may have mentioned something about that. If one person feels that their opinion, sorry, their truth, is actually important and they try to convince someone else of that, what is astonishing is that there's no curiosity anymore. There's no engagement anymore. There's just offense. Proverbs has some things to say about this. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. Those who trust in themselves, the Bible says, are fools. You see, offense is, is unfortunately, it's the one-stop pushback. Attack is the best method of defense. How dare you disagree with my opinion, sorry, with my truth? And so offense is the way to deal with that. Proverbs 18 verse 2, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions or delight in airing their own truths. Sadly, we feel that we don't need to defend our ideas or our opinions or our truths anymore. All we have to do is tell people that we're offended. It's, un it's unfortunately, it's a hostile, it's, an, it's a very oppositional way to engage in things in reality. But it's, it's the world we live in now, sadly enough. And every day we are presented with opportunities to be offended. Whether it's on the motorway and or we're coming up to lights and someone thinks that we should be hitting the gap and we're not hitting the gap because we can see a truck that they can't see and so we don't go and so they jump on their horn and they honk at us and they're obviously offended at us and we can get offended back at them if we want to and give a range of hand signals that may or may not be helpful. Or the person in the cafe. You know, when, you, when you've been in and you've been waiting and, it's near, and, and they're busy and it's almost your turn and someone just walks in and the waitress looks up and says, who's next? And... Mrs. So-and-so says, oh, that's me. And you are just tempted to throw your arms wide and praise to the Lord and backhand them in the face, which you don't do because you're a good Christian. But it's easy to become offended at that, right? Or maybe you finally get a night off, a night with your best friend, a night with your husband or your wife. It's going to be so nice. And then they just sit there on their phone the whole time. In our universities, I can tell you from first-hand experience that people are terrified to have an opinion these days 
let alone share an opinion on any, any current controversial topic. These places were once places in society where ideas were debated and tested and navigated that we might find a greater revelation of truth. Sadly, they have now become strongholds of those who can be the most offended. And the problem is, is that actually that is in and of itself offensive. And so every day we have to choose whether or not to be offended. And some things we know are easier to manage than others. If someone honks their horn at me, I know they don't know me, they can't see what I see, and so I can kind of get over that. Much more quickly than if someone attacks my character or suggests that my motives are wrong when they have no idea about what is going on, I find that much more difficult. And we all know what this is like. And, and then there are other things in life, when injustices happen, when things happen to us that should never have happened to us. It's very easy to find ourselves in that place. And so what I want to do this morning is, I, I want to try and bring a, bring a little bit of clarity around what offense really is. You know, in the English dictionary, the word offended is defined as irritated, angry, or annoyed, which is somewhat helpful, but it doesn't kind of take us a layer deeper. Luckily, the Bible does. Offended in the Bible is the Greek word skandalizo, and Thayer's Greek dictionary, or Greek lexicon, defines this in three ways. It means either to stumble, trip, or fall, to be enticed into sin, or it means to begin to distrust and desert one whom one ought to trust and obey. And thirdly, it means to be trapped or tangled and to feel angry about that. So, I'm offended, therefore, can mean three things. It can mean I've stumbled or tripped. It can mean I'm distrusting and no longer living in trust and faith. And it can mean that I have become entrapped and I'm stuck here now. I think this is so interesting, right? Because it reframes this for us and helps us to see that I'm offended actually isn't the power card that some people think it is. It's actually an admission of failure. It's actually an admission that they have no answers. It's an admission that they've tripped up, they've stumbled, they've fallen, and they've got stuck. It's the devil's trap. He wants to stop you making progress. He wants to stop you operating in faith. He wants to keep you in a place where you are stuck and unable to press forward into the things that God has for you. And so let's just take, for example, a story in the Scriptures that maybe we're quite familiar with, and let's re-look at it through the eyes of this understanding of what offended us. Matthew 13, Jesus comes to his hometown. You know, you'd think that his hometown is the place where He's going to be most welcome, most champion, you know, local guy made good, all that kind of a thing. But we know that isn't what happened. It says, coming to his hometown in Mark 13, sorry, Matthew 13, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. They took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. 
You see, these people, they got thinking about how ordinary Jesus was. He kind of grew up here, and they didn't like the fact that now he seemed to have all these incredible gifts and abilities and opportunities, and they got offended. What does that mean? It means that they stumbled over this one thing, this fact that he had these abilities. They stumbled over that. They got stuck on that. They stopped putting their faith in him. They stopped trusting him. And they were unable to move past it. What a tragic waste of time and energy. Here we are on Pentecost Sunday, reminded of the fact that the pouring out of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is the single most resourcing act that ever happened from heaven to earth in all of history apart from Jesus himself coming down for us. And yet what Matthew notes is that offense hinders the ability of the Spirit of God to operate. Offense hinders the power of God. Romans 14, Paul says that we need to really make every effort to not offend people, not to cause offense or get offended. He notes again in 2 Corinthians how much it distresses him when he sees God's people getting offended about things. And in Matthew 24, verse 10, Jesus himself says that in the last days, many will be offended. Boy, if that's not today, if that's not 2021, I don't know what is. We need a culture shift. And so I want to ask the question this morning, how, how do we deal with offense? What do we do with that when offense happens or when it happens to us? And as part of that, we've got to deal with the question, right? What about making a stand? What about speaking the truth? What about addressing injustices and dealing with issues? What about the things that happen that are just wrong? Shouldn't I get offended? Don't we have to stand up and say something? And so, because this whole series is about building our life on the Word of God, we're going to go to the Word of God, and we're going to look at a story where tremendous offense is happening on, on both sides. People are protesting. Things are happening that are just wrong, destructive even. A man has been wrongly convicted. Nobody seems to care. God's laws are being broken. God's people are being misled. God himself is being accused and rejected. And there are some very interesting things that happen in this story that I think are instructive to us. So we're at that point. Jesus has been brought before Pilate. It is the morning of his crucifixion. Let me read this to you, Mark chapter 15. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom, which was at this time of the year, he would release somebody that had been put in prison. Pilate answered them, do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? Speaking about Jesus. For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate asked them again, then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? Again, they shouted, crucify him. Pilate said to them, why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. When it comes to controversial things, boy, we see this, right? We see some people try to what, stir up the crowd. It's on social media all the time. Some people just stir it up. Man, they push it to the extremes. They make inflammatory statements. They try to get people riled up about things. Or number two, they try and satisfy the crowd. They compromise on what they really think. They try and take a middle ground or a low road to pacify 
the crowd. Both of these are not good options. They make things worth both ways because here's what happens. When these things happen, we stop dealing with the issue and we start dealing with the offense. We stop dealing with the issue and we start dealing with the offense. Let's keep on reading because I think what we're going to find in what Jesus does, something that's very helpful for us. Mark 14, then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to, sorry, this is in Mark, not Matthew. Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man, which is a, a phrase he uses to speak about himself. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of glory, speaking about his, his return, his second coming. Now, we've got to ask the question, right? Why shouldn't Jesus, I mean, I mean, shouldn't Jesus have stood up for what was right? Was he condoning the actions of the crowd by saying nothing? Wasn't he offended? I mean, think about it. This crowd, these are Jews. These are the descendants of the ones that he, I mean, he's, maybe he's God, that he went after and saw released from Egypt and brought them out with, with miracles and incredible things. He is the one who, who then took them into the promised land, a place of milk and honey, and, and blessed them and provided for them. I mean, it's, it's these people, the Jews, the ones that God has done so much for that are now working to have him killed. Boy, don't tell me that Jesus wasn't offended about that. Don't tell me there wasn't unbelievable hurt. There is nothing that can happen to you and I that can possibly be more offensive than what happened to Jesus. And then there's Pilate, this cowardly, conniving person in authority who cared more about his political future than the job he was actually there to do, which was to stand up for justice. He was placed in, the, in that role of judge in this, and the very thing he was put there for he just didn't even bother going there for the sake of his own political expediency. And he knew Jesus was innocent, yet he just washed his hands of the whole thing. I mean, and what was Jesus' response? Shouldn't he have spoken up, defended himself, shouted down those false charges against him? Shouldn't he have spoken to the crowd who didn't recognize him as their savior, as the, as the one who had always looked after them since the beginning? Shouldn't he have denounced Pilate, expressed his disgust? Shouldn't he have stood up and made a stand? And yet Jesus, who is the, the, the wisest person ever walked the face of this earth, he totally didn't do any of those things, any of the things that the offense culture would say that we should do. We need to learn from this today. So what I want to do is we're going to go to, a, I think, a very powerful scripture in the book of Proverbs, book of wisdom. Because if there's one thing we need to realize today, it's this. When it comes to dealing with offense, the one thing you need more than anything else is you need wisdom. So such a difficult minefield to navigate. I'm telling you, you need wisdom. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 19. Then we're going to unpack this over the next few minutes. Proverbs 19 verse 11. This is what it says. A person's wisdom yields patience, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Okay. Now, this passage talks about three things. Patience is something that comes from wisdom. So, therefore, patience, obviously, is an integral part of this. Secondly, it talks about doing what is to your glory. And I'm going to unpack that in a moment. And then it talks about overlooking an offense 
which I think we'll find is a little bit different from what we tend to think overlooking means. But I believe that what we have here in the book of Proverbs are three clear steps to dealing with offense that we can take and, 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 and put into practice in our lives. And I think we'll see exactly what Jesus engaged in as well. Here we go. Three steps to dealing with offense. Number one, you've got to play the long game. Wisdom yields patience. And this is pertinent because you can only deal with offense if you play the long game. If you take the long view, if you see the big picture, that this issue of offense is just a small stumbling block, a temporary distraction on a much bigger journey. It is not the deal breaker it currently feels like. Be patient and play the long game. Secondly, and as part of this, the second step is you've got to be the big person. Doing what is to one's glory, this is interesting, is an action that in the Hebrew means doing something that ornaments yourself. Ornaments yourself. Or another way of saying that is makes you look good. Make the decision what, that, what shows faith. Show great character. Show great maturity. Show dignity. Show grace. Show self-control. Don't get caught up in petty fighting and silly arguments and lowering yourself to engage in the same way that those who are offended are engaging. No, 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 no. Do what is to your glory. Do what is that reveals the character that is in you. Be the big person. And then the third step is this. Get over it. Literally. And here's what I mean. In Jacinius' Hebrew lexicon or Hebrew dictionary, it gives the literal meaning for the word translated in English, overlook, as this. This is the meaning of that word. It means to cross over as you would step over a stream. This is so interesting. To cross over as you would step over a stream. It's saying, get over this thing. Don't fall in. Don't get tripped up. Don't be trapped by this temporary distraction. The whole goal of what you're doing is to get on the other side of this thing. That is your focus. That is what you're trying to do. You don't have to engage in this. You don't have to look at this dream. You don't have to work out what's going on with it. You just need to get on the other side of it. Get over it and keep moving forward. Now, that's something you don't learn the lessons when, when these kind of things happen and issues come. Yeah, you know, about uh, it started last year, I think it was. Listen, I ran the Mototapu Marathon down in Central Otago, and um, and as part of it, I think there's about eleven river crossings or something like that as part of of this run. And uh, we we realised very early on two things. We realised that that water is unbelievably cold. It comes straight off a glacier. Unbelievably cold. And certainly later on in the race, you hit that when your legs are fatigued and they just go straight into cramp. The second thing we realised was that uh, many, in many of those places, the, the rocks were unbelievably slippery. So, so what did that mean? Did that mean that we, we got through that, and as soon as we got through that first stream, we forgot about the temperature of the water and about the slipperiness of the rocks? Absolutely not. We learned the lessons from every stream that we crossed over and applied it to the next stream that came. Likewise, and dealing with offended people and offensive issues. We learn the lessons from every offense we cross over. 
We take note about the people that maybe we need to manage or avoid. We take note of behavior that we need to eradicate or shift. We take note of issues that we need to watch out for or gain more education in. But we keep going. The devil wants you to stumble, stop, lose your way, fall into the trap. God wants you to stay in faith, trusting Jesus, keeping the big picture, the mission, the purpose that you're on the planet for, and get over that stumbling block, get past that stream, get on into the future that God has for you. And this is exactly what we see Jesus did. Let's look again at that scripture and his response. Faced with an offended crowd and an offensive crowd, Jesus responded by firstly playing the long game and saying nothing. This offense was a temporary distraction. He still had to go to the cross. He still had to go to the tomb. He had to go through the resurrection. He didn't need to address it. Nothing would be solved by addressing this offense. He didn't need to wade into it. He just needed to get it behind him. He did not condone anything by not addressing it. He saw the big picture. Secondly, Jesus demonstrated magnificent character. He showed his huge, unconditionally loving, godly nature, his dignity, his grace, his faith in God. He, he didn't call anybody out. He didn't defend himself. He didn't rage at anyone. He simply answered the question about who he was and moved on. And thirdly, he got over it. In fact, this is a really interesting bit. He was already over it before he even got to it. He, he was already focused on the future that he was moving on to before it had even come to it. He was there thinking about the future when having overcome sin and death, he would return a second coming with honor and authority and power. I mean, listen to this. When asked if he was the Messiah, his simple response shows us that he's not stuck in this issue. He's not concerned by the offense. He's not offended. He's already thinking way out there. Listen, uh, when asked about that, he says, I am, said Jesus, and you will, what? you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and returning on the clouds in power. I mean, he was already out there. In his mind, he was already over the offense. He was already working into his future without even going through this yet. In fact, the writer of Hebrews confirms this. Listen to us, Hebrews chapter 12. And let us run with perseverance to race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. He already had his eyes fixed way beyond the cross. You hear that? He had his eyes fixed way beyond the cross. And all he had to do was keep going forward to what God was calling him towards. Okay. Offense. Play the long game. Realize it's just it's nowhere near as big an issue as you currently think it is, and it will blow over in time if we let that happen. Secondly, be the big person. Stay in a place of dignity and strength and honor. Don't go getting into argy-bargy with people. Don't, don't do that. And then thirdly, 
get over it like it's a stream that just needs to be crossed and moved on from because what you were called to is not the stream, you're called to the destination. We'll get the team up now as we come to a close. Because now we need to bring this, we need to bring this home. We need to bring this back to each one of us here this morning. And so, let me ask you, do you feel offended by something someone said, something someone did? And and I don't mean to minimize this. Some of us have been through the most horrific things, things that should never have been done to us, things that should never have been said to us. But we have got to find a way not to be trapped by that offense. Not to, not to allow it to cause us to stumble and stop and stay. Because God has great things out in front of us. Don't stumble. Don't lose your faith in God. Keep moving. Don't focus on the offense. Focus on the future. Don't get trapped into staying where you were emotionally or mentally when that offense happened. You know, as I was praying about this, I really believe that there are people here today who somewhere, sometime, as they were on their life's journey, stumbled over an offense, a stumbling block, something that someone did to them, justice, Stay. 